When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game betting odds on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. The biggest takeaway from the Zero RB Watch. Stealing signals, that's what we're talking about today. On Stealing Bananas, I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. And with me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find the Zero RB Watch that he writes over at Rotoviz. Every other great thing he is doing over at Rotoviz. And Sean, we didn't do the Monday episode this week. I got some feedback. Some people were bummed. The morning Monday commutes, they didn't have the pod. I apologize to all of you. You know, I, I had been hopeful that that I'd, I'd be a little bit more fresh Monday morning for Stealing Signals. Even my Stealing Signal subs got that a little bit later this week. We're getting down to December, dragging, dragging my feet a little bit as we get to the end of this year. But it is a blast to be back on with you. I missed our, our chat on Sunday. It's, it's a blast to be back on with you today. And uh, yeah, we got a lot to talk about because we didn't cover anything on Sunday. Yeah, it was it was rough. There was a hole in the the Sunday evening routine. Didn't get a chance to get your thoughts on the games. You and I, the thing that was a little bit disappointing, our team that had such a great season did go out in the FFPC main event semifinals. Our team with Davis and the FBG that had so many good players, uh, we managed not to get that one through. I mean, that one scored a a ton of points. I mean, it was it was a good semifinal. It's the exact thing that you would like to see in fantasy playoffs, where that one was one seventy two to one sixty six. That's what you're looking for. Uh, unfortunately, we just came out on the wrong end of it. And that was a, a Herbert Mike Williams stack with Jonathan Taylor and Saquon, who never came along. Godwin, who was huge. Elijah Moore, who we had in the lineup for his big day. Jerry Judy didn't do quite a lot, but this team could have been great. Man, not getting those. Defensive points hurt. We do get the 15 catches from Godwin. You get the 200-plus air yards from Elijah Mitchell. Unfortunately, the air yards turned out to be somewhat irrelevant, but he does score a touchdown, so that is nice to see. Yeah, a lot of good things there. And, Ben, we do have plenty to be grateful for. Anytime that I get teams through into a main event final, that is pretty exciting. I had some other teams get through, and I know you got had some other teams get through as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I think I only had the one. Yeah. Just the one. Couple uh, had another loss in the semis. Have three locked into the shootout, which is exciting for the main event out of uh, eight teams, but uh, only one that made the league final, which was a bummer. It was kind of a rough week last week. I, we kind of hit on this last week, but the semifinals in any fantasy and for people in sort of normal leagues, it's always my least favorite because, so, I mean, when you're playing in money leagues, I mean, I, you want to win your league, obviously, but when you play in a lot of leagues and you make a lot of playoffs and there's a lot of variability, I, I feel like, you know, how profitable my season comes down to tends to, to be decided on semifinal week, right? Because you, you're going to have a certain amount of teams there. And it's almost like, you know, if you get enough teams through, you're, you're bound to win a couple championships. And, you know, even if you take some second place prizes, those are nice. But you got to win the semifinals just to get in there for the second place prize, even if your team, you know, then has a rough finals week. So winning the semifinals and locking in that top two payout is always a is always something that I'm focused on. And it wasn't a great semifinals week, but, uh, you know, still have a lot that I'm very excited about. It's going to be still a good year, but 
Yeah, and, and having those teams through into the shootout is pretty awesome. Yep. Um, you mentioned the semifinals. The semifinals are rough because it feels like there's no upside, but there's a lot of downside of yeah. getting eliminated. And especially if you were the one seed, yeah, just it's always a bummer to go out during that week. Ben, you and I didn't have a chance to do these. We got Stealing Bananas set up and going a little bit after kind of the main best ball portion of the year, but I'm excited to do some of those with you this coming season. We have all the fantastic tools on Rotoviz. A couple of teams that I had in the FFPC $100,000 best ball tournament made it through. So those teams cash and now they have a chance to make a run in that one. Uh, that format, a lot of fun as well. And so plenty of big things on the line this last week. And you and I also have another main event team that we're kind of uh, waiting on to see how that pans out as well. So a lot of fun things to look forward to over these next couple of weeks. But as you mentioned, we have a lot to go over here. I've got notes from every team. It was an exciting week, but Ben, kind of one of the things that you were saying is that we finally have some trends. The main thing that I noted in uh, the Zero RB watch this week was that I had the AFC and it almost felt like a normal week from a normal any other season yeah. to where there were some things you felt like you could actually count on. What were some of the main trends that you feel like we're now getting? I also want to note, we noted it in, in OT, so some of the OT listeners will have already gotten this, but uh, Leonard Fournette, one of those guys, but Colum and I made it through into the main event finals by playing Ronald Jones. Obviously, in spite of and not because of, <laughs> but we made it through. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, this week, I mean, I wrote about it, uh, but my signals readers will will recognize from, from my intro on Monday that I wrote about that a little bit that, you know, it kind of sucks because we're at this point in the season now where there's not a lot of roster flexibility, but it does feel like things are taking shape finally. It took a lot longer this year. I think we're going to have a lot of time in the offseason to discuss the 2021 season and why it was like this and what it means for 2022 and the future of fantasy football. Uh, I have some, you know, sort of early theories, but nothing that's like super concrete. I'm looking forward really to this offseason to dig into some of that. But it does feel like we're getting to the point where we're really building some things that are going to be clear. I mean, you mentioned Fournette is a big one that um, his role has become so strong. That offense is such a perfect offense for high value touches. He's getting those receptions. He's getting those green zone looks. He's going to be a force in the fantasy playoffs. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, obviously, is someone that we've seen for several weeks now and, and Cooper Cup. And those guys have been sort of the, the, the interesting ones that, you know, we, we already sort of knew, but sort of the only thing that we knew. Javante Williams, I mean, just stuff like that. Javante Williams um, and uh, I guess like Alexander Madison a little bit. Just like, you know, you have a, a lead back out and we think this backup's going to step in. I mean, we, we've seen most of the backups step in and perform, but for Madison to do that, obviously Javante has been sort of a 50, 50 guy. He finally gets his shot and we get to see what we've known all along. Was we, we, we would see when that happened. That was nice to see Elijah Moore, you know, continuing that growth into um, sort of that clear rookie trend where right around week eight, week nine, we're saying, look, he's going to stabilize uh, Corey Davis now out. The, the floor is open for Elijah Moore to be a stud the rest of the way. 12 targets. You mentioned 201 air yards, absolutely elite volume, had the highest whopper of the week ahead of like T Higgins, who's another one where, you know, we couldn't understand T Higgins. We've been calling him a buy low all season long, but now we have a couple weeks in a row with monster volume and the production to back it up. He's now gone over hundred air yards in five of the last six. So he, you know, three weeks ago, we had one weird game, which was like 16 air yards, but, He's the guy we can look at and say, look, oh, man, the air yards are there. They're consistent. T. Higgins is what we thought he was. Now, the production has backed it up these past two weeks. You get tired of saying that every week that, you know, he's still a buy low, but uh, that's paying off. Uh, there's so many things that look like they, you know, they were going to go a certain way. They have now. And, yeah, I mean, you know, even just getting the chance to see Antonio Gibson in a bigger role was exciting. I mean, we we knew that. You know, J.D. McKissick is is an important part of that offense, but with him out, there was some potential for someone else to step into the McKissick role. That didn't happen. Gibson was the workhorse. His route shot up. You know, all the things that early in the year, the the little routes trends that were like, look, they want to use Gibson more. They just also like McKissick. That kind of proved true. Same with same with Javante Williams. The fact that they don't 
replace those roles with another back. It shows you that they they think the team thinks highly of Javante. The team thinks highly of Gibson. It's just they also think highly of the other back that's there. But when those backs were out this week, we got an opportunity to see these guys in some bigger roles. That those might not stick when the other guys come back, but just little things that were also very nice to see from sort of a big picture, you know, 2021 standpoint, just things kind of paying off and making sense that uh haven't haven't seemed to make full sense all year long. Yeah, and a couple of the things that we've talked about on the show recently that weren't um, you know, go out there out on a limb, crazy predictions, but things that we did talk about that were a little bit aggressive at the time that have come true in terms of Justin Jefferson making that push yep. to really get back to the overall wide receiver one in Dynasty, but also just from a redraft perspective, right? I mean, we were a couple of weeks ago really talking about how the opportunity for him to have been the clear league winner was there. One of these guys who, you know, would he climb back? up into the top and then you know with the last several weeks he's up to the overall wide receiver too now Adam Thielen going out opens up some opportunity there it also you know in theory increases the defensive attention but Justin Jefferson one of these guys where you know if you use any creativity as at all as the offensive coordinator is just going to be such a monster to control because he does everything well and so they rarely do that <laughs> they're also the situation there where you know the Lions bite on uh, the Alexander Madison play, which that was a big play in the game, was a big play in fantasy. I think everyone expected the Vikings to try and run that ball in. Unfortunately, Jefferson does get that touchdown and really launch his point total. Another one, a player that we don't necessarily have a lot of, but someone that we said, look, I mean, he's right on the verge. The target volume is there. Even though Roethlisberger is struggling, the upside is very clear for Deontay Johnson. He's now made a big push and has been a big part of fantasy teams making the playoffs winning in the semifinals this past week you know if this were your semifinals if you're still uh, just like a week away or heading into your playoffs I mean he was the guy who kind of got you across that bridge and now if you face a Deontay Johnson team in the next couple of weeks you're definitely looking at that and thinking man I wish it were anybody else and so you see that you see Jefferson we talked about Javante Williams and how he was the guy from this class above the bigger names like Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, you know, still interesting with Etienne, what will come about there in the future. But man, it'd be impossible to, you know, the Houston Texans maybe would beg to differ, but it'd be very difficult to look worse as an organization than the Jaguars do right now. So that's going to impact Etienne's value along with obviously the injury. You know, Javante Williams, a month ago, you know, people are talking about Nashi Harris and in the same kind of dynasty light with. Jamar Chase, who's also fallen off a little bit. Kyle Pitts, who's also fallen off a little bit. Now, I don't think there's any question that both for you know 2022, unless some very bad things happen for for Williams in terms of the overall context of the offense, uh, but both redraft and dynasty, he's the guy that you would have wanted. As you mentioned, really cool over, to see this game. Uh, Williams over Harris or over everyone in the class. Well, everyone, every running back in the class, which obviously, running back. yeah, 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 I, yeah, and I think you said that very clearly a month or so ago on on our show for sure. Um, that Williams is the RB one in the in the class, and Dino, I think even before that was easier to say. I think it's a, a little bit easier to say now, obviously, especially with Pittsburgh's offense being so tough in a way that has really hurt Najee. I mean, it's kind of pulled back the curtain a little bit on what we talked about a lot, which was that, you know, you're basically just betting on workload for, with him. And and so now that's that's been a challenge. Another guy that you have liked, and I have not, Devonta Freeman, I think, is a really interesting one right now as well. 69% snaps. That was the biggest share for any Ravens running back in any game all year. He had topped out at 58 a couple of times. And then in week 12, it fell back and and Latavius Murray made it more of a split. But then here in week 13, way more clear lead back for Devonta Freeman. Uh, jumps back over the 58% that he had been playing, which was sort of where he topped out at 58% three weeks in a row when Murray was out. And I think into the first game, Murray was back. But now, you know, he's like the guy there. Ran 60% routes, had, uh, you know, a few four catches or something, five catches, had six high-value touches. 
he looks really interesting going towards the playoffs and he, he looks good. I mean, like early on this year, I was saying he looked pretty bad and you wanted to stash him everywhere. And I was like, no, he looks terrible. You know, chalk up another win for Siegel. I don't know about that, but he did, he did look pretty good. Right. And it's nice for them to have that, especially since they are having some struggles in the passing game. Marquise Brown has finally fallen off a little bit after just a fantastic, uh, you know, Big, long stretch there in the 2021 season. Yeah, I mean, this game was a new season high for Freeman in terms of expected points up over 23, actual points, you know, just over 20, and then with the targets. And so we know that running backs are not going to get targets with Lamar Jackson as the QB, but if you have any upside as a receiver, and I mean, this is going to be the season high for that, obviously, but any upside as a receiver within this offense, then, I mean, you become almost a must start, right? The other thing you mentioned, Latavius Murray only five and a half uh, points, but also you know very low there in terms of expected points. I don't think that Murray looks that much better than Le'Veon Bell, whom obviously they cut because he's done. And so we can definitely see why the Saints released Murray at the beginning to have someone like Freeman who actually doesn't look that different than he used to look. I mean, he's probably not peak Devontae Freeman, but but looks okay within the context of this offense that has Lamar Jackson and has the vertical passing game so defenses have to uh, you know respect that at least to an extent <laughs> we continue to get this trend where you know every other pass to mark andrews appears to be an intended interception but you you have this offense that even when it struggles like it did this last week there's a lot of potential upside if there's any running back who could play and now we've found out that it probably is freeman and so if you were fortunate enough to be stashing him i think this is pretty exciting We've got him on some teams where we had DeAndre Swift. And so especially, you know, if you've lost somebody, Freeman becomes almost a must-start. It becomes almost a must-start for virtually any type of team construction now. He's even, I mean, we talked about how we would have we would have advanced if we had played him over Terry McLaurin. Obviously, you're not going to do that. If we had to make the choice again, even sort of going forward, we would make the choice for Freeman. But there are just a lot of scenarios now in which Freeman actually becomes a decent flex. Now we want to have wide receivers in there if you have any option, but if you've had receiver injuries or you have someone who has a declining route share or is no longer drawing targets for those routes, then Freeman becomes an option in that kind of conversation as well. He looks pretty good. You said if we had to make that uh, decision again, we would, we would want Freeman, but you meant if we, if we were making that decision again next week, were you saying that we want, we would take Freeman no, no, I you McLaurin, would still take yeah. McLaurin as right. well. Yeah, sort of but, listening to the rest of what you said. Gotcha. But man, it's close now. Yeah, right? it is. I mean, I mean it's somewhat close. I mean, maybe not to McLaurin, but yeah, like I, I hear your point. Some of these guys with declining target shares and, and some issues, you can totally see playing Freeman over some of those wide receivers, um, especially with, you know, up there around 70% snaps. And you I mentioned, have, you have uh, to say, I'm disillusioned with McLaurin again. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. That was brutal. That was, uh, yeah, that knocked us out. The fact that we couldn't get much of anything out of him was not helpful for our best team. That's a team that we drafted uh, live on on some Stealing Bananas podcasts. And McLaurin fell to us at, what, 310 or something? And we were like, you know, he was never a target for us. That's the only share I have of him. But we were like, look, this gives us a really interesting build. If we take him, that's the team. I think we started with Hill and Najee Harris. We were going to take Hawkinson. And then we got Hawkinson in the fourth and we were doing backflips. We're like, we got this great value on Terry McLaurin. We still got Hawkinson in the fourth. We're setting up really nice here. Um, and McLaurin has been like a, just a weight on our team. You know, we were hoping that he'd be good. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, that that kind of weight on the team was one of the reasons why he wasn't necessarily a target because we knew that there were potential issues. Uh, McLaurin, one of these guys who is very consistently in that sort of elite air yards range, but is maybe going to have a little bit more trouble really capitalizing his air conversion right now, just over 60%, which everybody else with him kind of in that target and air group is higher, even someone like a Brandon Cook. So, you know, we, we can see why maybe that wouldn't have worked out. We now have the situation where, I mean, they just don't have anybody else to throw to. And Logan Thomas looked like he might emerge kind of as, as that guy, but then immediately has more serious injury concerns, which it looks like maybe not as bad as it could have been, but probably will be out for them again for a while. And then this team, 
you know, not to just dwell on our teams too much, but we went on to take Chase in the fifth. We went on to take Debo in the seventh. We got Connor in the tenth as our RB2, which has obviously paid off very handsomely. If Terry McLaurin was good, this team would be a lot of fun. <laughs> but yeah, uh, another one that you mentioned was obviously the Thielen injury and, and what that could mean for Justin Jefferson. <clears throat> I want to ask you about KJ Osborne a little bit because we were kind of interested in him early in the year. He's been, you know, I, readers of Stealing Signals will know that I've been kind of saying all year that, look, it's Thielen and Jefferson, they're the top two. And then Osborne and Conklin are sort of this third weapon and they split it. And it could be either guy any week. There's not really anything else beyond those four. So now that Thielen's out, I mean, number one, a lot of times when you see a receiver like Thielen go out, you see another guy off the map come in and take over the Thielen role and, and Osborne stays in his his own role just because of you know personnel packages and things like that. That's not what we saw here at all. Osborne's routes rose to 96% of the dropbacks, complete full-time role. Clearly, uh, you know, Thielen went out very early in this game, so we did get a good, a good long look at how they might do this. D.D. Westbrook is their other guy, you know, beyond that. He was right in sort of the Osborne range. I think he was at 60% routes, which is where Osborne usually floats. Conklin also set a season high in routes. Uh, as a percentage of dropbacks, but just a little bit higher than normal. You know, he's obviously just a tight end, but I think both Osborne and Conklin now, they've both gotten some some opportunity as this sort of, you know, combination third weapon in, a, in an offense that has been very concentrated on Jefferson and Thielen. But I think they're somewhat interesting now because we know Jefferson's obviously going to be great, but he is going to attract more attention. And I think it's pretty clear because it's been sort of concentrated that Osborne and Conklin will be, the next guys. And I, I, I don't know. I, um, you know, we don't have a lot of teams where we'd be playing a KJ Osborne, but for people who might need a receiver right now, especially ones that might need a tight end, I think both those guys are somewhat interesting. Well, I actually do have some teams that have had some receiver injuries. And then obviously there are some more teams on the buy this week, which we've talked about this before, but, but week 14, why are there teams on the buy? Uh, Obviously, nonsense. you benefit from having guys like Jonathan Taylor all the way to this point. So Taylor's going to be in a lot of big – his teams are going to be in a lot of big situations in Week 14. Hopefully, those managers can get through that. But there are some other teams out there like the Miami Dolphins, a team that we've relied upon in a number of, of fairly important situations. The thing that kind of is unfortunate about this one is that from a short-term perspective – Osborne plays on Thursday. And so if you have any unhealthy players who you know, you're waiting on, you know, you've got to go with Osborne if you pick him up and want to not just burn that bench spot. So that makes it a pretty big challenge, I think, this week. I'm also concerned that the underneath role for the Vikings and, and his you know, target depth this last week in this game, you're talking about very, very shallow that if it's not Adam Thielen scoring all these touchdowns, then it's going to be a little bit more challenging to create the value out of it. But Osborne, a guy who can run after the catch, athletic, he had some of these numbers coming out of college where a very good sleeper, one of the reasons why we did want to at least keep him on our radar as the number three guy here when he emerged as the third receiver. You know, I'm still a little bit skeptical about Kirk Cousins, we talked about the previous week where Jefferson was frustrated with him. You have this game here where they lose to the Detroit Lions. You know, if you're the number two kind of emerging receiver on a team that has questionable quarterback play, that's another little bit of a red flag for you. You and I have talked from time to time about some of these issues when people are thinking, okay, well, an injury is going to create an opportunity for a receiver. It doesn't tend to work nearly as well as it does for running backs. That's one of the dynamics there with team construction. But Osborne is a guy that I like based on talent. It'll be interesting to see kind of what he can do these next couple of weeks. Then another player that I kind of wanted to ask you about is this potentially a similar situation. Another one of these where, you know, you're kind of waiting till Sunday to find out, like, you know, is it Debo? Is there any chance he's going to play? The big news within the last 24 hours, Keenan Allen, who has been – crazy hot right i think the number six overall wide receiver now um i think the number three receiver maybe in the last uh, month or so definitely up there 
he is on the COVID list. It sounds like he's tested positive, but is vaccinated, which means he needs a couple of the positive tests or a couple of negative tests to get back out there. And this kind of corresponds with a week where uh, someone that you've been skeptical of had a big game and a peripheral role for the Chargers. Can Jalen Guyton be somebody oh, who Lord. <laughs> blows up for the Chargers this week? If you are desperate, would you be picking him up for your uh, – and just plugging him right into the lineup after the one good game? Uh, no, I would <laughs> Oh, man. Jalen Guyton, we're going to go here, Sean? Jalen Guyton um, versus Amon Ross St. Brown. Jalen Guyton for the season. Had, last year he had, I believe, the lowest targets per route run of any player that ran significant routes. I think it was 9 point something, 9.3% or something, which is just you can't even get targeted on 10% of your routes. You're pretty terrible. This year he's at 10% uh rounded i don't know if that's 9.8 percent or what but we're at we're right at 10 percent um i have the weighted targets per outrun metric that includes air yards he's sort of their deep shot guy he's terrible in that as well you know the ability to earn targets matters and like yeah look like there's explosive play upside you have the long touchdown he was also the only reason that austin eckler scored any points in this game because he had the, the catch down to like the Inside the five, is that right? Yeah. Um, I don't know, Sean. I don't know. Why don't you make the case for Jalen Guyton? <laughs> I think he's terrible. Well, the case for Jalen Guyton is that Justin Herbert is awesome. And someone is going to have to catch the ball this week. Mike Williams, one of these other guys who not always the best at actually drawing targets. Back hot again now after the long cold streak. This is maybe the game where if Mike Williams is going to prove that he was deserving of that top 10 pick, he needs to come through with one of these Justin Jefferson, Chris Godwin-like 13, 14, 15 target games. Guyton or Williams? Mike Williams. Mike Williams. Okay, because Guyton, by the way, I did find the uh, unrounded version. 9.58% targets per hour. So you're saying 15 targets for him. Is what you expect over the next three years combined. It's over the next three years combined. Yes. It's not even at 10%. He might be the lowest in the league again this year. I I, I wouldn't do it to Jalen Guyton with your roster, Sean. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't make that play with, with any of your teams. Uh certainly not with any of my own. No, I, I look, I get your point. I think there's certainly explosive upside. Um I know he's a guy you and I, I don't think on on the show, but talked a little about in the off season in terms of like best ball where I, I had picked him up in one spot. Cause look, you're like everything you just said, Justin Herbert, you know, he's going to have some long touchdowns probably during the year and you'll get him, get to play him in some deep dynasty best ball teams. And I think I cut him. And then I think you in one of our leagues picked him up right before the drop, the cutoff. And I was like, well, now I feel like an asshole for cutting him, but um, <laughs> it has not, it has not necessarily panned out uh, fantastic. Having said that, I mean, look, it can happen. It can happen for anyone. It could happen uh, for, you know. Ben, the next best receivers on waivers are going to be Freddie Swain and Josh Reynolds. Are you? I would take Josh Reynolds, <laughs> honestly. Like, I, I, I might. I might. He, he actually ran some routes and got some targets these last couple of weeks. Uh, played with golf, but. I think, you know, if you're just seek, seeking upside, you know, I'm probably going to be wrong here. You make a good point. We've been talking all year that the Chargers do not have weapons. If Keenan Allen is out, I mean, you're just making me want to play Mike Williams and DFS that much more because he's going to probably get a lot of targets. Well, then when we get back from the break, we'll go into at least a quick little congratulatory uh, just note, I guess, for the Detroit Lions who win a game and we'll try and see if they have any interesting running back plays in the absence of DeAndre Swift. NFL football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? 
If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out for the Packers. Whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season and attend a game. Whether it's a home game for your favourite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit TickPick.com slash Rotoviz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets. That is techpick.com slash rotoviz. Well, Ben, after losing on the final play seemingly every game this season, the Lions come back. They throw an impossible touchdown pass to win. I say impossible in part because Jared Goff was the person who threw it. Probably not fair. And then he actually did have some pretty decent results with the Rams. And even though the Rams annihilated the Jaguars this last week, Matthew Stafford has been on a little bit of a streak recently leading up to that game. That reminds people that playing quarterback in the NFL is difficult, even if you have a good coach and good players around you. The Lions win. Jamar Jefferson looks good as a runner, but he's not involved in the passing game. What are your thoughts on some of these backups? We know that we love Jamar Jefferson, but the players running the routes in this game might be even deeper options. Yeah, I mean, the the running back who led in routes it wasn't jamal williams which was somewhat interesting williams just did the sort of like a you know pumped up version of his normal role you had godwin Iguabuke, i believe is how you say his name running 58 percent routes looked looked all right i mean jefferson didn't play a ton was just sort of the backup early down guy uh very limited routes and all that but yeah williams it was interesting because williams and Iguabuke were both active in week 12 when swift went down early Williams ran 54% routes. It would be okay only at 12%, basically flipped this week. Williams was at 21%. It would be okay was the, the, the clear lead on passing downs. I I mean, I, I haven't really been looking there in terms of answers to the to the running back question for right now. I think there are some other uh, very interesting options, but I, I think you can make a pretty good case that while Swift is out, it would be okay could be you know, a reasonable play in PPR leagues. Especially because we would still expect the Lions to trail. This is a, a kind of an odd one in that we know that Jamal Williams was involved as a receiving back in Green Bay. It was one of the things he was actually pretty decent at. It, his travels around and usage almost reminds me a little bit of Kenyon Drake, where it seems like every team has a little bit of a different sense of, of what he's good at. And sometimes it seems to ignore the reality of what he's actually good at. You mentioned some of these other options we're now finding that the panthers are going to try and run the ball every play and so chuba hubbard jumps right back into the fantasy conversation we know that they probably will have to throw 10 times and maybe all of those were will go to amir abdullah because again they're going to be trailing and they can't find their receivers who are some other running backs that you're focusing on this week if people are in a, a desperation situation well i gotta throw it back for you uh, I mean, Rashad Penny led the the Seahawks in snaps, or their backs in snaps with 41%. He had an explosive play in the passing game, 27-yard gain, 62 yards on 11 touches, ran a lot more efficiently than Adrian Peterson, who rushed 11 times for 16 yards and is complete and utter dust. I don't know, Ben. I seem to have watched this game and Adrian Peterson scored a touchdown. Yes, he did. Carlos he Hyde scored a touchdown. Four carries in the – Those guys should have been in your lineups. <laughs> yeah. Four carries for Peterson in the green zone. Penny only got one. Travis Homer got a pair. Homer ran more routes um, than Penny, I think, but they were close. They were both sort of in the same range in terms of routes. Uh, so, uh, anyway, Penny looks like the guy that has the potential to do – yeah, so Homer had 28% routes, Penny 26. Very low for both, frankly. But I think Penny is the guy that has the potential to sort of be the Chris Carson that no one has been, you know – was running a lot on early downs, which Homer wasn't. Homer had the long touchdown run on a punt return. He's not really – I mean, he's basically just a um, two-minute drill back, and, and he had a few catches in this game, but not a ton of routes to, to back up those targets for him. Just a game where he caught some checkdowns uh, and, and, again, scored on a long punt return. But, yeah, Penny looks like the sort of lead back. And then, yeah, I mean, 
you have that sort of cover with Homer and then the other cover of Peterson getting all these goal line carries where like Penny's not going to necessarily be talked about, but he looks like, yeah, led the team of snaps again, had some routes, had the big game gainer in the passing game, did get a green zone touch, but Homer did get a couple down there, a couple green zone touches. Um, so Penny only got one out of seven for the team, which is not great. I just think that there's, look, we've, the, the ratio of, of, Times that we've hyped up Rashad Penny to times that he's done anything is infinity, and most people are rolling their eyes. But, like, you still have to make a decision based on right now and what we're looking at. And, like, this roster doesn't have running backs. They have not had running backs. They have not had answers for running back for the last couple months. Pete Carroll seems to think they're still in contention. Adrian Peterson sucks. So, like, why not Rashad Penny now? I don't know. I'm pretty fired up about Travis Homer as a special teams player, I'm the Seahawks, <laughs> I just run it out there in the punt formation every play and say, do you know when we're going to punt? Do you know when we're going to snap it to Homer? I mean, defend this, right? Because Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf is not getting it done. Then I also wanted to mention the backup situation because we're now getting into the time period where handcuffs start to make a little bit more sense, even on medium-sized rosters, because you don't now want to lose your star and if and like you said we don't have as much roster flexibility at the same time we do kind of know who we're going to play we don't need as many contingent plays although a ton of stuff is still going to happen over these next three four five weeks right so it's not like things aren't going to get shaken up but you're going to start to make uh some moves based on being sure you're ready for the postseason you've been constantly telling me that justin jackson was going to be the backup or was the best guy to be stashing in los angeles with the chargers i wouldn't say san diego there and larry roundtree has worked his way out of getting these short yardage touches basically not a factor at all austin eckler scoring those plays joshua kelly got an audition last week back to justin jackson for this one and as you'd like to point out he's the guy that has the passing down upside if eckler were to get hurt and that's where so much of the value for their team comes yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been viewing it sort of like the the Saints uh, backfields, you know, the Ingram Camara thing, which has sort of been the the template we've been talking about since the offseason with um, Lombardi there as OC and then the Saints ties and everything. And so, yeah, it, it, I, I think you want Eckler's role, and I don't think sort of Kelly or Roundtree expand into that role. I think they stay in sort of the big back role. And so, yeah, er, early this season – um a couple times Eckler I think it was weeks two and four he got checked for a concussion in week two he got banged up in week four both times Jackson went right in ran some routes was in the sort of Eckler passing role uh Eckler didn't miss the rest of either of those games he came back in both of those games but ever since then I've basically clung to this Eckler's not had any other injury scares or anything but and Jackson missed some time himself just with injuries but I've kind of clung to this thing where if Eckler were to miss time, I think we're going to see Jackson playing the more valuable role in that backfield. Definitely one of my favorite stashes right now. You mentioned Abdullah. He's a guy I mentioned in, in signals this week, uh, sort of looking at the team high value touch charts and, you know, Carolina's going to come down. Christian McCaffrey being who he is, is part of the reason that their high value touches are as high as they've been. They're like seventh in the league right now, but I still think, that Abdullah makes sense for the reasons you said. He's probably going to run all their routes. They've kind of shown they don't want Chuba Hubbard to do that. Uh, even before Abdullah was there, it was Rodney Smith and some other guys they were they were using instead of Hubbard on passing downs. Uh, the the other one is look, Drake Kenyon Drake's out now, and and Josh Jacobs. You know, we were talking a little before the show. We've been talking. I don't know how much we talked about on the, on the show. I know I've written about it in Signals a ton. That Josh Jacobs has sort of low key had a much bit more of a, like a workhorse role than people realize. His routes have been consistently higher than they've ever been this season. And I've been talking about his high value touch upside. It's been fantastic over these last few weeks. Obviously, now Drake's out. He catches uh, the nine passes in this game, and so. You know, we know you're going to get goal line work from him too. He looks like a really good play for the rest of the year. Uh, but behind him as well, you know, he's he's had some injury issues. Peyton Barber had a good start earlier this year. Uh, Jalen Richard, my old buddy who I, I've, I've always been a big fan of, I think will run some routes. If Jacobs were to miss time, I think there's some potential for Richard to, to be 
the more valuable of those two with the receptions, but Barber certainly also, I think both those guys become sort of interesting stashes. I don't know. Do you think that would be a split between them? We don't really have a lot of data. How would you expect if Jacobs were to miss time, either of those guys who are available everywhere, either of them would, would, would play. Well, we talked a lot about one of the reasons why Zebra RB works is that when you do get these injuries and you get the backups in so many situations, the backups actually project to a ton of points because of the way the committee now has dissolved and is, is actually focused around the high upside backup, someone like a James Conner who made, I mean, Conner's not fast, right? And probably not quick. I mean, he, he looks like a glacier moving and not like, you know, when they have their awesome calving moments, but just the generally speaking ones when you're out there for thousands of years, when he's trying to get down the field, but he does have, I mean, he's got amazing hands, right? And a little some pretty decent instincts that not everybody can find the, the end zone the way he does. Basically, I wanted to point out that, man, that catch he made was extraordinary. If he doesn't make that catch, then that's a bust of a performance for Connor because he actually blew the short yardage carries in that game somewhat surprisingly. Getting back to the Raiders, you were asking about Richard. The one thing I can guarantee with him is that when he scores, it will not be when you expected it. So I don't know how valuable he's going to be. He's always out there getting the routes at the I won't say the worst possible, but the most surprising possible time. So I guess now that they don't have Drake and it is opened up, it won't be surprising if he gets some routes. I do think that there is some potential there. You mentioned Jacobs. It's interesting because I think that you and I, I and mean, we've been skeptics of Jacobs. It really felt like he was overdrafted in all formats you know, up until this year, where it was a little bit like, I mean, the thesis is pretty close to being the same. Why did he fall off so much? And, and perhaps... I felt like he was a value this year because I've always been a Kenyon Drake skeptic. And so I wasn't that worried that Drake was going to take, you know, too many of the opportunities now. But what we've seen over these past couple of weeks is that, I mean, and it's kind of crazy because Jacobs didn't have one RB1 finish until last week. Not, not this most recent one, but week 12. Now he's got two in a row. I think that there are only three or four backs in the NFL that you prefer to have at this point. You mentioned the routes. Sets a career high in targets. One of the things with Jacobs, even when he's out there doing routes, it hasn't necessarily been the scheme for the Raiders to get the ball to him, at least. They have passed to some other running backs. But now they have nobody else, right? And he's gone through some different periods where maybe he didn't look that explosive, probably wasn't 100% healthy. He looks good right now. And, you know, that's something where you're just watching the game, thinking to yourself, okay, well, he's made a good play. Maybe he's more talented than I thought. But sometimes that kind of thing can give you at least a little bit of insight into like how close to 100% the person is. We know that no NFL player is at 100% at week 13 going into 14 in the NFL season, but he looks good. And just watching this game was kind of heartbreaking if you were playing Derek Carr anywhere or just are a Raiders fan because without Ruggs, which obviously is done for good, and without Darren Waller, they have nothing. I mean you kind of contrast the Denver Broncos passing attack, which is loaded with weapons and doesn't have someone to pull the trigger with the Raiders passing attack where Derek Carr was in the midst of this huge mid to, to mid late career breakout. And now that he just doesn't have anyone to throw the ball to. So I mean, Jacobs becomes someone who is a huge threat in the receiving game. And for the same reason that Leonard Fournette has morphed into a just slam dunk top five running back, Jacobs could be a clear league winner down the stretch. Yep. Couldn't agree more. Um, yeah. I'm kind of bummed that like in, in some of the maybe like more win now dynasty spots that I had that I didn't make any moves for Jacobs a few weeks ago, because I mean, I, again, I, I've been writing about his routes all like, I, I didn't even think he was a value this year. I didn't want to take him because the thing with Jacobs is like, you're not getting, the receptions you are uh you're looking at sort of a trap back except you know you you the one thing with jacobs you did have was he's gonna have a dominant share of the green zone touches he's gonna get you know the the close in touchdown work and if their offense is better um you know he can have a double digit td season he had 12 last year he has seven so far this year looking like he'll have 10 again this year at least so you'll get some tds Probably not going to get a ton of rushing yards just because it's not a great offense and they don't actually tend to run a ton. Um, so, the, like, it felt like a low ceiling without 
you know, a decent receiving role. The thing is he's pacing for a 50 catch season now over a 50 catch season. Now, obviously coming off a nine catch game, you know, talking about pay stats, it's going to be, it's going to look a lot better, but over this last like month or two, the big thing that I've been sort of patting the table and signals about is like the routes have stayed up and they've never stayed up like this in his career. And so uh, he sets a season high here with Drake going out, but even that he was up to 71% routes three weeks ago, he was at 66% routes, which was his previous high. So it was only five percentage points higher than his previous high. Uh, he hasn't had a lot of games in the sixties. He is going to gain now, which is also good, but he'd been floating in the fifties for, um, or at 48% a couple of times for, for the last like six, eight weeks. And so anyway, other than a game he left early in the game right after the bye, where they looked a little bit more like what we thought coming in where Drake ran more routes, but then that flipped right back the next week. Jacobs was running more routes. I mean, uh, Drake has always had kind of a smaller role. So it's interesting. People will be on him now because Drake is injured uh, at the same time. Like this role was sort of already here. He didn't even gain that many more routes. And, and, and hopefully some people acquired him based on, you know, some of those conversations, but the market is probably going to catch up a little more now that Drake's gone. It, it is great for Jacobs. That's what you needed was the, the ability to have five plus catch games on top of the bulk of the rushing work and the, the green zone work. Now he looks like a high value touch stud. And we talked so much about the injuries that they're inevitable. We're not rooting for them, but that they do create these zero RB stars. It is also worth pointing out that you do occasionally get an injury that's not to the starter as to the high impact cannibalizing backup. And that will turn the starter from someone who was very justifiably in the dead zone into someone who now is, is pretty interesting. And, you know, we have that also with Gibson Gibson, you know, mostly not in the dead zone, but someone who has a similar situation emerging there and now could really be a star. It's one of the reasons why when we talk about who you want in the dead zone and who you don't, you need to be making some judgments on talent, which is, is sometimes out of fashion. You need to know which guys you think have the talent to take over if their backup is injured or like which guys you want to draft in the first round, even if you think they can take all the work away, like we've seen with Jonathan Taylor. So some interesting developments there as these running backs kind of push down the stretch, especially as we're seeing in then I, I can't even bring myself to talk about the chiefs yet. They did win, which is great. I guess if you're only a reality fan, which I'm a reality fan in addition and sometimes secondarily, but, and we'll talk about that a little bit more in the future, but with some of these teams being shut down a little bit, I mean, you do need to have some exposure to the running backs wherever they're drafted. And we know that Patterson and Fournette, Connor, AJ Dillon, someone that we can probably talk about a little bit more uh, on our next show, guys who are playing extremely well and could really factor in down the stretch here. We'll have to hope for uh, some of these teams that we don't get so much wind in the fantasy playoffs if you have a Stefan Diggs or if you have a Tyreek Hill. Yeah, yeah, those are, I mean, I have teams with both of them that are not, that's not looking great. The Chiefs offense, yeah, it was a windy game. They've also been just sort of a boring offense lately, which is, it's driving me a little bit nuts. But we have reasons to be, optimistic i think uh clyde edwards is back uh, clyde edwards is back so now teams will have to put 10 guys in the box because there's a first round running back uh in the backfield right there is and you know he can he can get you 4.2 yards per attempt so you better load up and stop that <laughs> no well uh, i mean why did the chief's defense have to recover that was not what we were really looking for we don't I want mean, them the, to be the chiefs becoming a, come on the Chiefs becoming a grinded out offense and a and and play good defense type of team was not in my 2021 bingo card. That's but I mean, like we were talking about this week, a lot of things seeming to make sense. That one still doesn't, but it still felt like a real you know, there's always stuff that doesn't make sense in the NFL, right? But at least, you know, there's only a few things. There's there should be a few things that we're trying to figure out, not everything. And, and the Chiefs are, is one that we'll have to figure out another day, another week. I still think next week they're probably going to throw for 400 yards. But, um, you know, who knows? Who knows where that goes from here? Uh, what else do we got? Do we got uh, – what did you think of Russell Wilson? I thought he looked a little better. Is that 
positive. I mean, I'm sure people who have Locke and Metcalf aren't don't care at this point. But part of the reason I thought Penny was interesting is I think the Seahawks offense has the potential to be a little bit more interesting. If if it was that you know these last few weeks were just sort of his hand wasn't fully healed and he wasn't back uh, to where he should be. I thought he looked better. He had the two touchdowns. He was a lot more uh, efficient from a completion percentage standpoint, things like that. Should have had a third touchdown. His only interception came on a, another pass to the end zone that Gerald Everett just fumbled to the defense. Uh, yeah, I mean, it looked like a, a, a better Russell Wilson game. I'm going to stick with my quick kick and then occasionally fake it approach with the Seahawks. Oh. <laughs> no, we did, we, did get a, we did get a better performance there. I felt bad, right? I mean, there aren't too many times. One of the reasons why, even if you're – you know, need the opposing kicker to not score against you. You feel bad when the kickers miss. It's just so high profile. It's all downside for the kickers. If they make it, unless it's some 60 yarder to win the game, then they're the goat. You don't have that many situations like that for the position players, but Gerald Everett had the worst game of the year for any player. Yeah. One of the worst games of all time. Of all time. He fumbled oh. on an inside shovel pass at the one yard line on a third down where they could have then, you know, kicked a field goal or something to go up by two scores which they probably would have done. They had just gone for it on a fourth down, but still you can't fumble in that scenario. You're up seven points in the fourth quarter. Uh, that was after he had already fumbled earlier in the field of play and had the interception I just described that hit him like just a little quick out. Like it was like a 10 yard throw right in the bread basket. And he just like fell down and hit it up in the air to the defense. So two turnovers inside the five yard line or in the end zone, essentially like right in scoring range, three total. He only had six targets on the game. He had six opportunities as a like as a role player. How do you directly account for three turnovers on just the, the few opportunities you get? That was on just gigantic leverage plays. It, huge plays. Yeah, I mean they would have won this game fairly easily if those plays don't happen. And uh, I mean that's bad news for the 49ers, right? Who come in really on a roll and need to be dominating a, a what is a bad Seahawks team? Yes. And it's one reason why Debo being back will be important for them. As we're recording, at least right now, they're saying that's a possibility. They're also dealing with the Elijah Mitchell potential concussion. They're saying Jeff Wilson's knees are swelling. And and look, people have talked a lot about how good Jimmy Garoppolo is playing. He threw maybe the worst interception of week 12 um i don't know i i'm kind of biased against him because i just have wanted to see trey lance all year but just hit a linebacker in the chest in week 12 early in that uh win over the vikings and ended up playing well the rest of the way and has played very well i want to be clear but um on limited pass volume they've been running well in these games in the seahawks game he threw another couple bad interceptions he has three really bad interceptions in the last two games like that weren't even like he's just not seeing a guy in a zone and he's throwing it to him yeah, it, it would be fun to see Lance. And I've always liked Jimmy Garoppolo. Their results with him, I mean, until he gets shaken up in the fourth quarter of the Super Bowl, they look like they're going to beat a Chiefs team that was incredible. And so there's no question that they can win with Garoppolo. Uh, and yet he is a guy who needs the pieces around him. He needs the good game plan. He usually has those things. He's missed some guys, and he's had a situation where he's appeared not to see some defenders out on the field some of those plays that you've referenced in the last couple of weeks. So, you know, there are some extenuating circumstances there. We saw why people love George Kittle and why he can be such a, I mean, if you're playing against Kittle this week, it was kind of cataclysmic, right? So I mean, we could see what a big weapon he would be. If you're a 49ers fan, you're still dreaming of this time period where all of those guys are healthy together. If you could get Mitchell, because Mitchell has looked fantastic, right? He has the speed to take the distance in addition to, you know, really showing the ability to fight through some of these tackles. You can understand why they're so excited about him. Brandon, I finally emerging, although it would have been encouraging to see him do more in this game. This was a game where it uh, takes a little bit of a step back, but they have Kittle. Samuel, I mean, the 49ers are a potential Super Bowl team, even though they're going to have to fight their way through because, I mean, they're not going to be in a great seated position for this. So you're going to have to come through a more difficult stretch, but they could do that. They have to play better than they did in this one. I think that you're right. Part of the reason why the Seahawks were back in it is that Wilson did look much better. He's hitting his guys more in stride. He got Lockett open. He got Metcalf open. Uh, this was a situation where it really looked like Metcalf was going to score, and then you'd have – very solid games for both of his receivers, which it's been a while since we could say that. Metcalf managers, I mean, if you're still alive with Metcalf at this point, you've got to be just 
finally breathing a little bit, a sigh of relief. He looked better in this one. It was kind of a, a T. Higgins, Justin Jefferson kind of play there where he goes down, where it seems like he might have been able to get into the end zone. Their offense does look better. I mean, you can't take any offense seriously that's deciding to give important touches to Adrian Peterson. But I think this passing game has to be four four touches at the goal line. Yeah, no. Uh, I think for Wilson, for me, look, look, like I just was criticizing Garoppolo for a couple of bad passes when he's otherwise looked pretty solid. And I do want to say that. I mean, he had some other somewhat shaky throws. I think there was one where he missed uh, Kittle pretty wide open on the sideline, but I think he had some pressure. And Wilson has looked way worse than that, to be clear. But Wilson, 50% completion rate in his first game back. And like a lot of those incompletions, which is uncharacteristic of Wilson, were just like wild overthrows, nowhere near, right? And then this has been discussed. Uh, it was up to 54% in week 11, also just pretty terrible. 65% in that Washington game, but still that was the one that was primetime. A lot of people saw this. Uh, several throws that were like, where are you throwing that? That's nowhere near the receiver. You know, Gerald Everett was a guy he was checking down to a lot. And there was, I can think of a couple that were like quick outs. And he threw it like 10 yards over Gerald Everett out of bounds. And it's like, it's freaking standing there wide open. Like, it looks like you've never thrown a football. In this game, he had a completion rate over 80%, 30 for 37. He still has flashed the, the ceiling of his accuracy, too, which is interesting. In the past games, he's thrown some good deep balls. Uh, you know, the Washington game threw a couple good deep balls to Tyler Lockett. This San Fran game, I felt like it was more consistent over his full body of pass attempts where there wasn't these random wild throws from Wilson. Uh, and look, 30 for 37 plus the INT that should have been caught by Everett. It hit him right in the chest. So really, really only six incompletions. And I, I mean, I, I don't, I didn't chart the whole thing or anything. I don't know if any of those were really bad, but just looking at it from that perspective, from a box score perspective, it, it kind of matched right. What, what I was seeing. I was like, well, look, like he looks, he doesn't look perfect, but he looks more like Wilson. We get the eight targets for both Lockett and Metcalf. You mentioned Metcalf almost scores. Those two can both be a lot better if Wilson can actually be Wilson. Exactly. At the same time, everybody knows that the biggest point of conversation for the 2021 season has been the way defenses have taken away the deep pass. I expect so many of the teams to be able to adjust and do other things because their quarterbacks do have other things in their repertoire and they do have players who can still win at other levels. I don't think there's a lot of question that Lockett and Metcalf are at their best as deep receivers and that the big problem for Wilson is he is a deep throwing quarterback who does not excel at the other portions of it, at least not compared to what his stats tell you about how good of a player he is overall, not compared to what his win-loss tells you about what, you know, what he is as an NFL quarterback. We saw this really take place for the Seahawks, you know, even last year where they get off to that amazing start. And then um, they hit a wall and hit it hard, right? I mean, it wasn't like they slowed down and they, they just drove right into a wall. And when you have a quarterback who really relies on extending plays and hitting the guys deep, it, there's always going to be, I think now, I mean, in the past, it was just, you know, so consistent in terms of being able to create those big plays. I think we're going to see inconsistency. And I think we're going to see the fact that the Seahawks offense without being a good running team and without having an intermediate passing game, it's just, it's going to be difficult to, to create these kinds of long drives that some other teams can do, you know, do teams like the chiefs, prefer to score quickly as opposed to 15, 16, 17 play drives. Obviously they do, but they can do the other thing. The Seahawks, one of the reasons why they were setting all of these records recently for like most consecutive three and outs and three and outs within a certain time period is that that's just not the way their offense works. I mean, they're not going to be able to create these long drives. They need the big plays. I think that Wilson can get them. I think they've got the receivers for it, but inconsistency is, is definitely what I expect from them. Yeah, that's, that's actually a, a really good uh, counter or, or muting to my enthusiasm. Anything else, Sean, today or what do you? Well, there is more I want to ask you. I mean, we saw CeeDee Lamb look good. We saw Tony Pollard look good. We saw Ezekiel Elliott not look good. We've got some more stuff, but we probably should wrap it up for today. We will have another show coming up very soon. Ah, it's been fun right? We miss Sunday night. We miss Monday morning with you guys. Appreciate being back today. Really looking forward to week 14, the fantasy finals in some formats, the last game of the regular season in others. 
This is what it's all about. This is the fun time of the year. Uh, that'll do it for today's episode of Ceiling Bananas. I'm Sean Siegel. With me, as always, is Ben Gretchen. You can follow at Yards Per Gretch and subscribe to the Stealing Signals newsletter. I know he'll have fantastic stuff for you in the offseason as well if you're already looking forward to that. We've got all kinds of amazing stuff conceptually that we've worked out for the uh, upcoming months of Stealing Bananas. So if you want to make sure that you're kind of set with us on when those episodes are going to come out, go ahead and subscribe to the feed. Uh, if you give us a chance, uh, leave us a rating and review. If you want to subscribe to Rotoviz because you're looking forward to our fantastic dynasty and prospect content, you can get the 10% discount using the coupon code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Good luck to everybody on Thursday night, and we'll talk to you soon.